What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, welcome to the Range of Strength podcast, a podcast that delivers unconventional methods for strength and flexibility. Today, we're learning how to become anti-fragile with Angus Bradley. What's going on, everyone? <laughs> Thanks for making some time to come on the podcast. Uh, this has been long in the works on my end, trying to get you on the podcast. And I always like to, for most of my guests, take some time, like really diving into their work and learning a lot about them. And um, it's been a cool year doing that with your work because it's been this kind of uh, process where we've connected. I've done some work with you to, to learn a little bit more on my end, um, with some of the biomechanic models and it's, yeah, man, it's cool to sit down and chat shop about things. And, um, I think before we get into it, I just want to commend you for the work you're doing in content creation. And we were just talking a little bit about that before, uh, the call started because like, that's how I found your work was, I was kind of diving into you know, trying to find more accounts that are into some of these new models of movement and training and start coming across your work. And what I loved about it right away from the get-go for me was that it, I was able to really digest your content quickly and understand a lot of it. And you're talking about some shit that's like not quite there yet for people to be able to. And I think that's one of the things that you're doing differently is like you're presenting some newer concepts on movement in a way where you can like understand it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's, it's hard to even know how to respond to that directly because um, that's everything that I try to do in the online space. And it's yeah. just, you know, I think that's everyone's fear. Even when you start getting a bit of traction online, you get a whole bunch of people, obviously, who really understand what you're doing. And that's where the beauty is. But then what you hear so much more often are the people on just either sides of the spectrum. People have either taken the message a little bit too much to heart and then you think they think you're their new guru and stuff like that. Or then the haters are also quite loud as well. So it's just so nice when someone picks it up exactly the way you're trying to put it down. Um, so thank you so much for that. And I really appreciate it. And like it's whenever I see your email pop up, especially initially just when I saw the download to Armageddon and then uh, booking in for calls and stuff, I was like, oh, wow, like this is someone that I've followed for years and like I didn't even know they know I existed and sort of here it is sort of. So um, I'm also grateful that, you know, so many people talk shit about the power of social media, especially in an industry or on an industry such as the fitness industry. And I really enjoy sharing these moments publicly where I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, there's this wholesome side to uh, social media and fitness as well. Yeah. Finding, I think, you know, it's, it is a lot about finding your people, right? Like people that you can really connect with and share a lot of things that are going on with, like, you know, that's where it is, unless you're looking for something else. Like some people are kind of looking for the, you know, the shit to stir the pot or whatever. But, um, that was one of the things about finding your work too, is like, not only from a learning perspective on, okay, let's dive a little bit more into these perspectives on training and fitness, but then from like, even this, that perspective of content creation and how you're presenting your message, which I try to do on my end, it's like the hardest part is trying to create content in a way where people can digest it, 
They understand what you're trying to say, but they're also trying to do that in a very short time period, 10 seconds, like <laughs> 10 seconds to get this point across. And then it's like, people are lost, but, um, I think it would be good to dive into a little bit more on your background for some of the listeners. Like, how did you get into fitness and coaching all that kind of um, stuff? Man, it's sort of a long and all over the place story, but I'll try to put it together in the most linear and coherent fashion that I can because I've been asked this question a few times on podcasts, uh, which just uh, explain my entry into this industry, and I've done a terrible job of it every single time. Um, but I, I knew that I was going to be lifting weights my whole life uh, from a very young age, uh, and I got to credit my old man for that. Um, I just. Growing up my whole life, it was always sort of 50% on the brain, 50% on the body. And I would just see my dad come home from a 16-hour working day and he'd just be straight out on the back balcony, just pumping iron. Uh, that was sort of his mental health care plan, I guess, at the time, because therapy wasn't very popular back then. And I remember just looking at him and I was always like, Dad, when can I start lifting weights? Because I was a small <laughs> sort of scrawny kid. And he was always like, yeah, when you're 16, you can start with the bar. Because as much as my dad had uh, a real positive relationship with resistance, training that's back when everyone still thought it stunted your growth and yeah yada, yada, yada. so he's like oh look it's a little bit naughty but you know we can just start you off with some lightweight as soon as you turn 16 um and australian sporting culture is slightly different i would say to north american especially team sports culture it's a lot more like aerobic based sports so again and, and there's way less of an emphasis on early exposure to any sort of strength and conditioning like in high school and college like you are not pushed into the gym as a mm. australian youth athlete um so yeah sure enough as soon as i turned 16 uh coincidentally at that point that was the year my brother started working as a personal trainer as well so he graduated high school and like all he'd ever known was just like you know trying to be a professional athlete and that didn't fully work out for him so he just pivoted into personal training so there was just a few circumstances growing up where um I, it was always sort of going to lead to me being into fitness but at that point um so growing up my brother was always the sporty kid and i was a quote-unquote smart one um but then i don't know like i it took me so long to admit to myself that all I wanted to do for a living was tell people how to lift weights and be a personal <laughs> trainer or an S&C coach because I just remember when I was, um, I was like 10 years old, I saw an episode of The Guardian and I told mum and dad that I wanted to be a lawyer and I saw the look on their faces and then... <laughs> <laughs> then I remember just being like 22 and I wasn't studying law at the time. Uh, I actually ended up studying journalism uh, post high school and uh, sorry, at university. And, and they were cool with that and stuff. And, but I remember then just to, to then tell them, it's like, oh, no, nah, I just want to be a personal trainer because I remember their reaction when my brother told them that he wanted to be a personal trainer. And my dad was like, people pay people to tell them how to exercise? Because again, <laughs> in his whole life, that was just such a foreign concept. And obviously the whole idea of like being a personal trainer and making a career out of it, it's a much more proven concept nowadays. But yeah, even like eight to 10 years ago, people were still sort of skeptical about that side mm -hmm. of things, especially if they hadn't had much interaction with the fitness industry. Um, the other thing that was sort of going on in the background, sort of in my later high school years, basically actually when I got into the gym, I also started playing in bands a lot. Um, and that became very distracting when I was at uni. And there was just a little bit of me that wanted to have a proper crack 
at making it in music. So I ended up dropping out of uh, university in my last semester because I had an opportunity to tour around the country with my band. And I, we'd just been waiting. We'd released some music and got a little bit of traction, but just we'd also then got tied up with this dodgy manager and a dodgy booking agent at the time. Um, mm. So we'd sort of just been dying to tour around the country for like over two years it had been since we released the music and then we still hadn't been able to go around and like actually service our fans or anything like that. So dropped out of uni went on tour with my band that went to shit it was the worst organized national tour of all time ended up getting sued by our manager um so i was a uni dropout and a failed rock star sort of 23 <laughs> and the only other consistent component of my life that i wanted to immerse myself in was fitness so then um my brother hooked me up with an interview at one of the gyms in the city um and then i sort of just just immersed myself in fitness. But the whole time, uh, you know, I was a skinny kid hanging around gyms and stuff like that. So there was never any shortage of just confident jacked dudes trying to give me advice on how to lift weights. And it just put this chip on my shoulder because I've always viewed the fitness industry as something that was very much emerging and in a pretty primitive state. And I saw just how fast ideas were changing. So mm -hmm. I just knew that you know, I, I've always looked at, everyone wants to have impact in their life, I think. And I think I looked at the fitness industry as this place that was just rife with opportunity to actually have a positive impact because I don't have such a big ego that I think I can come to, you know, an industry that's far less emerging and is a little bit more mature. Like, I'm not going to change medicine. I'm not mm. going to change um, engineering or anything like that. But I actually think that fitness is something that I could have some sort of impact on. Uh, so I think that's sort of what drew me to it, and especially as well, sorry for the long rambly answer, but I felt like what I enjoyed about the music industry, there's a lot of parallels between the music industry uh, and the fitness industry in the sense that it's quite a chaotic space, and I think I couldn't quite give up on that sort of chaotic uh, nature of my work, so fitness just ended up being the perfect space for me. No, that's cool. That's cool to hear the, the whole backstory, and we, we had laughed a little bit when we had first got into contact because you had talked about music and you played bass too, right? Yep. <laughs> and then I, I sent you that video of me slapping some bass and I was like, bro, I was in a punk band. We toured before I got into fitness and <laughs> we laughed. It was, I have a lot of very similar kind of scenarios that kind of happened in that way. And I can relate to how the fitness space and the chaos of it is just like, you know, I felt that same kind of appeal to it when things kind of ended with music. Um, but it is cool to hear well, that. that. Like, at a certain point, you realize how many CDs you got to sell to make a company. <laughs> it's like, I didn't want to battle yeah. my whole life. Like <laughs> in the music industry, well, like for me at the time too, it was very much changing. It's crazy to see how it's changed now too. But I remember like at my time was like when, you know, Napster was coming out and like all these platforms were like, you could just go download music. And it was like this part where it was like, no one could figure out how to make money on selling their music anymore. It's weird. We were really lucky. Like, I think it was just our older manager that kind of screwed us. Um, happy to put that on record now, especially after <laughs> she tried to sue us for all that money somewhat successfully. Um, but I was a bit luckier, I think, with the timing of when we started sharing music online because that's when Spotify would act was there. So it wasn't just mm -hmm. people downloading it for free. It's like that sort of rush was over and it's all these streaming platforms were just sort of emerging. And I think a lot of people are rightly critical of Spotify and stuff. Like they don't pay amazingly, but I'll tell you what, made more money out of Spotify than our stupid booking agent. So I was, yeah. I was grateful for that sort of exposure as well. What's the band called? 
right, yeah, yeah, no, I, I get insecure about it because, you know, so much of it was written when we're at the back end of high school and I'm like, fuck, I don't want people listening to that, but I am proud of what we did at the end of the day. So if you want to check it out, we're called The Maze. Um, we had a bit of it. <laughs> check it out if you're interested. Like I said, it was just like my high school boy band, so... Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, I feel just the same way. Just a boy band, like, you know, we're always yeah. trying to taste, like, we love the Strokes, we love the Wombats, we love the Arctic Monkeys and all that, so it was sort oh, of, that's cool. I guess, our interpretation of that. Yeah, oh, that's cool, man. I'll have to check that out. Um, moving back into that discussion of um, kind of around the time that I found you and your work and we, and we got into some things together, you recommended Anti-Fragile by Nassim Talib. Um, at the time I was kind of sending you some messages about like what I had been taking from uh, a lot of these new concepts and movement models I was looking at. And it was like, just, I wasn't expecting you to recommend something like that because I was like this kind of, I was in this weird head state where, um, you know, you start digesting new education or new material, new things, new ways of looking at things. And you're kind of in this period of processing and also like feeling really conflicted about like, Oh fuck. Like, I don't know anything anymore. Like I'm like kind of thinking about like completely abandoning everything. And then you suggest this book and then I go through it and I'm like, that's exactly what I needed to read right now. Because <laughs> You know, you start getting into like, okay, well, I mean, there's no, real right or wrong in most scenarios there's just better ways of doing things and new perspectives and things like that but um i did want to just read it my favorite quote from the book for the listeners here just so oh, what's it gonna be? Hold on. Stage. yeah he's such a good writer as well <laughs> and that's the thing i think a lot of people wouldn't expect an economist or someone who works in probability yeah. to be able to make you laugh that much in the way that they're right as they're trying to teach just you something everything again, like, that's why it resonates with me so much like just yeah. We'll get into it. Anyway, sorry, share the quote. The best way to verify that you are alive is by checking if you like variations. Remember that food would not have a taste if it weren't for hunger. Results are meaningless without effort, joy without sadness, convictions without uncertainty, and an ethical life isn't so when stripped from of personal risks. And there's like so many things about that book, like not even just with things I was learning, but even just business and just being in this, when, when you're in business as a coach and a trainer, you're like, you're an entrepreneur, right? You're, you're putting yourself out there. There's a lot of risk, you know, and like, even just those things, even though they may be at the time when I was reading the book, weren't as like in my head, it was like hearing a lot of these things as well, kind of aligning with that. Uh, it was just so good, but yeah, I wanted to just kind of hear a little bit about like, what does anti-fragile mean to you? How did you come across that text? And like, what was going around in your life at that time to make that book kind of appeal to you so much? So much uh, about like good education and information, I think just comes down to like your personal context and like finding it at the right time. Um, and 
So in high school, my favourite subject was economics. I uh, always really loved it because it just seemed like, yeah, it was particularly macroeconomics. Like, I just loved the idea of just, like, understanding a bit more about the global economy. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's just a complex and dynamic system. And then I sort of moved into fitness again, sort of thinking, like, yeah, this is a pretty primitive industry. And everyone's always talking about, like, principles and stuff. And I'm like, well, where mm. would the principles come from? Um, and I think i got to give a shout-out to Luke Tulloch because uh, – like I said, I was in this weird position where I had not much respect for a lot of the systems in the fitness industry, but then I also thought that that's where I had to get all my information from. I didn't realize how much of my prior knowledge from outside of fitness I could potentially bring into this space uh, and that that could help inform my principles and my fitness systems. But Luke Tulloch was always just banging on. He's like, no, look outside of fitness. Look outside of fitness. Get back into your old hobbies that you used to engage with outside of fitness. Like That will have an impact on the way that you train people and the way that you communicate with other fitness professionals and stuff. And then um, it was Graham Morris that actually specifically got me onto this book, Anti-Fragile. And it was when I found out it was an economics book that that's actually what got me hungry for it. And again, it's just, I love words. I love etymology and like the meaning of words and where they come from. And sort of, I guess the central thesis, spoiler alert for this Anti-Fragile book is you know, humans are these anti-fragile systems or so is an economy. It, um, you know, it needs the right or a correct amount of stress to thrive. Like it thrives in volatility, too much volatility and it won't be able to handle it, but not enough volatility and it'll just sort of wither and die as well. So there was just so many just instant and obvious parallels there. But it also was really meaningful because at the time, I think, you know, there was this compression expansion model uh, that I was really diving into as well. And people were like, yeah, we already have words for describing this. Like, why do we always need these new terms and things like that? And there's a great passage in Anti-Fragile where he's sort of talking about the language used in Homer's Odyssey, where people have just found meaning in every single fucking phrase of that story. But there's one phrase that people have found confusing when he talks about sailing over the wine dark sea. Um, you're like, why the fuck did he? He's such a good writer and such an intelligent person. Why did he call it the wine dark sea? Uh, and the ancient Greeks didn't have a word for blue. And sort of, you know, you think about it, sailing across that sea at night, sort of torches burning in the background. You can kind of see how, yeah, it would have sort of seemed like dark wine. But again, as we get it, gain a better understanding of the world around us, it's nice that we have new words and new terms introduced that just help us encapsulate certain ideas a little bit better. And obviously, mm -hmm. we have a word for blue now, but again, just these new terms for human movement, compression and expansion, I feel like they are a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit more appropriate for explaining our newer understanding of human movement. Um, and, and I think as well, just the idea, this acceptance as well, because a big idea that Nassim Taleb promotes in the book is just this idea of embracing uncertainty. And, you know, in economics, people are always going off previous data of how an economy behaved in certain circumstances. And then they get overconfident thinking that this complex dynamic system is going to behave in an identical fashion in the future. And as a result of that, they try to come up with all these optimal strategies of how they want to, you know, shape people's economic behavior. When the reality is a complex dynamic system does not behave consistently over time, no matter how consistently you keep the inputs or the environment. 
Um, so I, as someone who was sort of, you know, nuts deep in the evidence-based era of fitness, that really resonated with me because again, we have a, and I love the evidence-based era and the way it's sort of emerging, but people have already got so much cockiness and so much confidence in these small data sets. I'm like, man, everything about the world and like, you know, fundamental sciences tells me that humans are a complex dynamic system and we shouldn't be looking at this data and we shouldn't be, sorry, we should be looking at the data, but we shouldn't let it give us this sense of cockiness, especially with how small this body of emerging evidence is thinking of like, okay, I can now predict how this system is going to behave. And mm -hmm. so if, and then, so you're left in this position, if there's no best practice here, then all you're left with is, uh, you know, the anti-fragile approach to managing a complex dynamic system is manage threats to the system. There are theoretically infinite circumstances where this complex dynamic system could thrive there is a much shorter list of things that will fuck it up or destroy it so if we just manage threats to the system then we'll always have sort of success handling these complex dynamic systems which is you know that sort of then leads to that whole fuck optimal train uh that i got on <laughs> No, that's good. Uh, uh, and just quickly as well, like why it also resonated again, have you heard Bill, pa Bill Hartman's poker analogy? I haven't heard the poker analogy now. So, you know, cause people think it's like, Oh, you know, these compression expansion people, they think that they can fix everything. And like, don't get me wrong, bunch of crazy people drinking this compression expansion Kool-Aid, but you listen to Bill and he's just like, cause people like, eh, like, you know, I, I did this, I compressed, I expanded them where they were compressed and it didn't fix it. And he's like, Oh, and well, you know, like we're playing poker here. It's just like we look at the circumstances and then we're playing this probability game. There is no certainty when you're handling a human being. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, like Bill Hartman understands yeah. the human body the same way that Nassim Taleb understands the economy. And it's, it's crazy because so many times when I'm reading a book like Anti-Fragile, like anytime they bring up any fitness concepts, I just roll my eyes. And I'm like, oh, they don't fucking get it. But then I've seen all these photos and Nassim Taleb out there deadlifting and stuff like that. And even like because... Uh, carnivore dieters, they make my eyes roll and make me cringe a little bit. Like, don't get me wrong, we scared people off meat too much, and I understand it is just a natural reaction to the surge in popularity of the vegan diet and stuff like that. But Nassim Taleb, in his book, and this book was published well before the carnivore diet thing really took off, and, and people started acting like, oh, did you know veggies are actually poison? And so... <laughs> As soon as Nassim Taleb mentions that veggies are potentially poisonous to the human system, I'm like, no, no, here it is. He's about to spoil it. Because I, I, I'm really hard on people and their misnomers, especially when it comes to fitness information and stuff. But he's like, well, if veggies are poisonous, wouldn't it make sense to have a little bit of a dose of all the different kinds of poison to inoculate yourself to the stress? So it's like, actually, you know, I don't want to just smash heaps of one vegetable. He's like, I want a little dose of all the different poisons to make my system more robust and to be this anti-fragile being. And I was just like, yes, that's it. <laughs> like, you fucking... He's my guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I can, that's a, another big part of that whole context within the book is it really like anyone who's in the fitness industry as a coach can, can dive in and start reading that and relate all of this to the fitness industry. Like if you've been in the industry now for however long, five, 10 years, like you're not doing any of the shit that you were told you should be doing five years ago or 10 years ago. It's just always ever changing. We're coming up with new language. We're just coming up with better ways of viewing things, but it does all come 
down to managing the system, not just buying into a system that fixes everything, which I think that's still what we're trying to overcome is this concept that this is the answer and this is going to fix you. And you know, like, you nailed it. That's why people have no confidence. Like, and, and the feeling that you described is the biggest thing that I'm trying to solve for people because I see so many smart and brilliant coaches such as yourself who've had so much success prior to being in the fitness industry and then even in the fitness industry and there's this toxic white belt mentality in the fitness space that you always need to be going to weekend education i'm like this isn't it because every fucking weekend course is like this is the answer this is the optimal way of doing things i'm like fuck all of this stuff <laughs> everyone should be so much more confident in this space because all these people acting like their system is the fucking answer it just makes my eyes roll whereas again you start empowering yourself with these lenses and these principles that are more universal and they apply to things both within and outside of the fitness industry and it can just mean that you can engage with so many of these fitness systems and like uh take in the useful parts of it but then just sort of laugh it off whenever they're like man this is the way you got to be doing things it's like yeah sure buddy just let me pay the fee for your dumb course and i'll take whatever i want from it and then i'm gonna bastardize it and merge it with a bunch of other systems and then you're going to tell me that i'm doing it wrong but again it's because you think you've got this optimal system and yeah. i'm not willing to gaslight myself or anyone who comes into any of my courses and tell them that this is the optimal system because i realize again that, that would be hypocritical of me so i'm just sort of like i said it's just this i'm trying to have the courage courage to just have this honest practice where i'm like this is where i'm at currently with it um mm -hmm. And I just wish there were more fitness educators in this space doing their little weekend certs where they could have the balls to hand someone a cert and be like, look, I didn't give you all the answers. You're still going to have to think critically. You can't just run everyone through this fucking algorithm that I managed to summarize in 48 <laughs> hours for you. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's I, we could kind of maybe segue into PRI models and compression expansion concepts because that's kind of how that's where a lot of things are starting to go. And, you know, a lot of people are starting to, I mean, I'm seeing so many coaches every day now that I haven't seen kind of start now moving in that direction. So it's, it's ever changing and, you know, bringing us to that next, you know, I guess pinnacle where this is the answer, but it, that was always the conflicting thing with me when I'm like going through all this, um, literature and, and looking through all this stuff is just being conflicted with like, okay, these are some answers that I need to digest and figure out where they You're fit. Like, I got to stick a balloon in there. What now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was where I, th I think it was like the way you're, you were presenting it as, um, I guess looking at it as um, narrow and wide ISAs need this and, and they need that. And like, they're more prone to these movements and, and it's, you know, just kind of just had a, a more natural approach to, you know, look at the system, see what they're really good at or what they're more biased to doing and then balance that shit out. And I think that was, uh, kind of like, I'm still going through it and still, you know, pulling a lot of the parts that I, I think I need to study more and kind of see where they fit. But I think that was kind of like the missing piece I needed to kind of bring back into what I like to do or how I like to do things. And that's where I think a lot of coaches maybe need to push themselves into like, how do you like to do things? Like, how do you work versus this is some cert that you took and now you're just doing that versus becoming your own person with experiences and, and ways that you kind of shape and mold, like how you do things. 
But yeah. um, how was this all presented to you? Like, when did you start getting into PRI kind of concepts, compression expansion work, and like what was kind of going on when that started coming around for you? Um, so I've always loved everyone who's ever heard me speak before has heard how much I worship Jamie Smith from Melbourne Strength Culture again because sort of someone who looks external to the fitness industry often for his inspiration and he had the top junior powerlifting team in the country at the time um, and I was just consuming a lot of their content and I remember so because I think just to sort of tell you where this is going I think PRI can solve so many or answer so many questions that a lot of meatheads have. And that's why it's such a shame that they get freaked out by the lack of lifting heavy weights and the balloons in the mouth. Because like I said, from just a movement model perspective, they are, I think they have a really good view of how the human body moves. Uh, maybe not so much a complete picture of like an entire model of how the human system works. But again, from a pure human movement perspective, there's just so many gaps there that they can answer again. Like, why do my knees move towards my midline on heavy squats? Or how do I create an even brace so I don't just feel my back lighting up the whole time I squat or deadlift. And that was a problem that I was having. Like I just, my back would fatigue so much because that's sort of, you know, what I was using, like concentrically contracting all my spinal erectors to try to stabilize my thorax. So I could use it as an efficient lever, um, for shifting heavy tin. And I think a lot of the breathing information, because again, PRI, so much of their focus is on how we breathe. But then what's the biggest thing that people struggle to coach effectively in the heavy lifting space is like people just suck at coaching, breathing and bracing. You know, people tell you to sort of push out on your belly and it's like, you know, that really seems like a horrible way to leverage the anterior musculature of your thorax. Whereas again, the whole PRI thing is get a stack, expand evenly in 360 degrees. And like, I think they're really, really good at teaching people to manage pressure a little bit more evenly and create that true 360 degree brace. Um, so I saw Jamie Smith doing a tutorial. He's sort of like, hey, here's a drill that I use to prep people before they go and do some heavy lifting. It just teaches them to brace a little bit more effectively and just manage the relationship between their ribcage and their pelvis a little bit more efficiently. Like I said, for just maintaining that even brace from all sides. And I found that really, really helpful. I did still didn't know about PRI, but that was my first introduction to PRI. And then um, we had Will Crozier on my podcast who, especially at the time, and I think he still has the record, was the well, uh, sorry, Australian record holder in the 110 kilo weight class. So Duke could squat over 800 pounds, could deadlift close to 900 pounds, could bench close to 500 pounds. Maybe he's benched 500 pounds. If not, he will in the next year or so. Shout out to Will. Um, and when I came into the podcast studio, he had my brother on all fours. And I was like, hey, this really looks like a 90-90 hip lift. And he's like, it's PRI drill. I was like, what's PRI? And then Angus was down the rabbit hole. And I'm really <laughs> grateful that my first impression of PRI wasn't from some nerd with 18-inch thighs um, so friendly, <laughs> uh, with glasses on, top button done up, and just being like, oh, yeah, you need to breathe into this balloon. And like, like yeah. I said, that wasn't my exposure to PRI. I had all these hectic meatheads who were smashing all this tin, be like, yeah, PRI is pretty legit. It's a cult. Like, you got to ignore a few things, but there's definitely some things that have helped me with my heavy lifting. I was like, oh my God, like, this sounds like, not, <laughs> I know that nothing's a secret source, but I was like, this sounds like a rabbit hole that I could go down that would give me a unique perspective to 
a lot of other people in my crowd. Uh, and then I went down that rabbit hole, just consumed... I've never been to a PRI course, but any piece of free PRI content that's out there on the internet, you best believe that I've digested it. Mm-hmm. And again, just so many questions that I had, like, why do I feel my back so much with a certain bracing strategy? Again, how I was taught to brace, just contract, arch your back, push your belly out, or like, why do my knees swing in towards my midline whenever I do a heavy squat? And like, why do so many people in the meathead space think that that's a bad thing? Whereas like all the PRI crowd, again, they might, it might, it might cringe seeing that much weight on your back, but they're like, oh, it's just sort of mid-stance qualities. Oh, it's just internal rotation. You know, they're, they're not afraid of pronation, which mm-hmm. is ironic. Because again, like the PRI people get, I think, typified as being like this really neurotic crowd, which they are to a certain extent, but they're so chill with so many of these things that, you know, it's only the movement optimist crowd that's cool with them. Meatheads are just like, no, I never let your background, never let your shoulders protract, never let your feet flatten. And PRI people are really chill with that. So for me, it just gave me a more comprehensive view of human movement. Um, and it's really so much more than just sticking balloons in people's mouths and yeah. progressing exercises. But like I said, I like to get cute with it occasionally too. Like I think it's like it's cool to consume the Kool-Aid for a little bit as long as you mm. don't lose yourself in it. Yeah. Now, well, I use kinda... the term Kool-Aid respectfully because it's like yeah. all there is in the fitness industry is Kool-Aid. If you want something <laughs> that's not Kool-Aid, you got to step outside of fitness. <laughs> well, it's funny because, I mean, it had that Kool-Aid effect on me at the start. I think everything does. Cause I mean, that's how you have to digest it. You have to really get into it and you're, it. yeah, yeah. You have to embrace it for a bit. So you're probably going to feel a little fucked up about your old shit. And, uh, but I've just, I have seen it affect a lot of other coaches that I know pretty well, like to the point where they're kind of like, just like really worried about themselves too, where it's like, okay, man, you're not that fucked up. Like you're okay or they're maybe losing some games because they're just feeling like they're just, it kind of has a little bit of that. If you start going too deep, you can get lost to the point where it has that effect on people where they feel like they're just a little bit completely fucked up and that they have to start from zero and, you know, like he has that barrier a little bit. So but I that's because they lose themselves, and that's the, that's yeah. the problem with every fitness system. People just wash themselves clean for every new certification or every new fitness system that they get into because they're like, all right, the last system wasn't the answer. So I'm going to throw it all out, and I'm going to go to a new course, and I'm going to absorb all of that system, and I'm going to do it right, so I'm just going to listen to them. I'm going to let them guru me. And then, and then again, because no system is the fucking truth, then they do repeat the process again. Whereas you kind of need to be like... um like Majin Buu. You just like take what you want from it, absorb it, and then you sort of develop as a coach. And then you see another course, you take what you need from it, you absorb that bit, throw mm-hmm. away the rest of it. It's got to be this accumulation. Whereas again, toxic white belt mentality in fitness, people just wash themselves clean. They're like, oh, I know nothing. Or anytime they enter a different domain, they're like, I know nothing. And again, like what I'm trying to show people is that like you can take that previous knowledge and adapt it. It's just this yeah. accumulation. You've got to stop washing it clean and you've got to get out of this white belt mentality that is so everyone has it in fitness and it frustrates me so most of the smart coaches have it (laughs) um yeah i think a little overthinkers they're they're at the wrong end of the dunning kruger effect and like people might see me as a bit overconfident but i'm like man if you think i'm overconfident it's like and you think you know more than me it's like back yourself a little bit more we need more reasonable people backing Mm. themselves in this industry because it's just all like i said the people at the wrong part of the dunning kruger uh little valley thing um, yeah. that are the loudest, that are running all the weekend certs, that have the confidence to put their ideas out there because they don't have an inner critic. <laughs> yeah. I think 
that's been one of the things that's like I, I train at a powerlifting gym. So, I mean, all, all the powerlifters there have been kind of seeking out help and it's kind of has this like new approach. Now where we're looking at a lot of expansion approaches to things where it's like, maybe they aren't like wide or narrow or whatever, which might be biased to one, but it's just that they're in extension all of, all the fucking time. So it's like, guys, let's get yourselves out of extension and just like presenting it to them that way. That's, they understand it right away. They're, they're having some quick wins with it. Just like understanding that, like, you're just super, you're an extension all day, every day. But people say that it's novelty. It's like, and you just do anything. But like at the end of the day, human beings thrive in a variable environment. I'm a big believer in that for what it's worth. And it's just like anything that you do a lot of, like it's going to it's gonna mess you up at a certain point. Like there is an inherent cost of specific training. And mm. where powerlifting is a great sport is like it's set up in a way where it's easy to expose yourself to a highly specific training program. But like at a certain point, your body's going to have its threshold of that that it can tolerate and i think when you go back to a slightly more general training practice and you expose your body to movements that again are a little bit less specific to powerlifting it increases the net amount of training that you're able to do and i think that there's some bread to be won there mm. uh, for a lot of people or just if you just want to start feeling good it's like yeah do something that's not massively extended spd <laughs> and your body will just be singing for joy a lot of the time yeah for sure um obviously we got a little bit into it there with that discussion, but I think it'd be important for us to have the squat talk. Oh, yeah. um, both of us are very, <laughs> <laughs> both of us are very uh, much promoters of squatting, and you know, uh, again, it comes down maybe not to like right or wrong, but like just more efficient ways of doing it, and or language as language, well. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Oops. No, we can swear on this. Oh, yeah, what the fuck <laughs> yeah. is a squat? Because, and this is why I like the compression expansion stuff, because, you know, someone can tell me that they're going to do a squat workout and I still have no fucking clue what they're about to do and what they're about to train. Like, and people might roll their eyes on that. I'm like, yeah, well, like, think about, like, the difference in terms of movement pattern from, like, a heels elevated goblet. No, let's, let's, let's go to, like, because everyone loves the squat, talking about it as a position of rest. And, like, mm -hmm. I, I think, like, the yogis have a great... If you want to have, like, a real yin and yang between your squat and your deadlift, there's, like, the yoga squat, which is a position of rest and just flexing an entire system. And then a deadlift, which is just this big extension pattern, like, rip something off the floor. And I, I want to pull polarize those two things because again the way what a squat means to a lot of people in this fitness industry because it's been so dominated by powerlifting especially in recent times is like everyone just ends up deadlifting twice mm -hmm. <laughs> like when you have a look at like what a squat means insofar as a, a different expression of movement than a hinge pattern it's just like well we need that vertical translation of the pelvis and you need to be able to flex relax and yield this entire system and again mm -hmm. like, i look at the deadlift as the polar opposite of that it's all this concentric activity like a deadlift picking it up off the ground whereas there yeah, in a squat i want to maintain these eccentric yielding sort of qualities even when i load someone up i still want them to hit depth I still want to get a nice elastic sort of bounce out of the hole. And like I said, not everyone needs a squatty squat, but I want people to know what a squat actually is mm -hmm. uh, as far as meaningful differences from a hinge pattern because I think that that's important for people. You know, we just touched on humans thriving in a variable environment. And if I want someone to have a program that covers everything, and their squat pattern looks like a fucking hinge pattern, then I'm like, eh, I think we're missing some things here from a physical development perspective, like from a holistic physical development perspective. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's also, 
what a lot of people are being told they should do to fix their squat. Like if you, you know, where it's not moving them towards the direction that they're looking to go in. Like, um, yeah, so like, many people in this industry, one of the biggest pain points is like so many people just want an ass to grass heavy squat where they bounce out of the hole. And so many of the things and correctives that people are given to achieve that are just pushing them more and more into that deadlift pattern and making it so hard for them to flex and relax the system so they can get that nice, actually squatty squat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people think that it's so hard to get, but then if you just look at a squat for what it actually is, um, and again, like I said, have a look at because that's the thing as well like we let i think powerlifters dominate the conversation of squatting whereas like they have a very unique take on squatting like i don't Mm -hmm. want to be disrespectful i love powerlifting i work with a lot of powerlifters it is one of my favorite sports at the end of the day but the way that they squat it should not inform how the majority of people squat in my opinion yet we look to them as the squatting experts i think you know even olympic weightlifters are a better step in that direction of like much more the squat that people are thinking of when they think about a squat in general yeah let's go through the list i think of some of the ones that come up the most so knees in yeah right so this comes up a lot like don't let your knees go in when you squat what's what's the real underlying issue here when knees are going in? Is it because we're forcing the knees out? Well, that's the thing. And then you have a look at like, you know, how does a human body produce force as well? And like, I think that that's what these compression expansion people and these PRI people are really good at just stepping back and looking at what the system's trying to do. And it seems like whenever humans are trying to gain leverage to produce force, we move in towards our midline. And I think if you never were exposed to strength sports Kool-Aid, this would be pretty obvious to you as well. And I think that this is something that human beings inherently understand because think about when someone tries to arm bar you. Do you just let your arm fly out to the side or do you try to bring your arm in towards the midline so you're stronger and you have better leverage? And like at the end of the day, you're not really increasing your leverage by pushing your limbs out away from your midline. Again, you have a look at sprinters and stuff as well. Like whenever they're really pushing into the ground, everything sort of centers and just moves in towards the midline. It's this, I guess, relative internal rotation of a system. And what we're seeing when someone's knees travel medially in a squat is that's just them trying to express internal rotation or to try to put force into the ground somehow because again when you're moving away from your midline that's not really in my opinion an effective strategy for pushing into the ground it's more of a yielding strategy and it makes that knees in effect so much greater and and that's the thing the more you've opened up the knees it's like well knees can only go out so far and it's like you know, we talk, human movement is biphasic. It's alternating. What goes out must come in. And people just say, like, knees should go out forever. I'm like, when does that stop? Like, when do we explore the other side of this? And because, again, like, what people don't realize what they're doing. As soon as you demonize any movement, you rob someone of, like, an ability to navigate their environment in a certain way. You put people in a mental prison. And we just talked about how humans thrive in a variable environment, yet we put people in these movement prisons like, can't do that movement, can't do that movement, can only do this one aspect of this movement. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why we make people feel bad. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about the tent. <laughs> the tent was like, that was one that I had to like divorce myself. I was a power lifter, right? 
So I was very much wide stance, knees out, supinated foot. And then you start going on this journey of squatting ass to grass and you're like, I can't fucking supinate my foot. It's impossible. Like, well, the squat. best powerlifters, they don't have an issue with force production. They have mm-hmm. an issue with like, they can barely hit the hole. So no, mm-hmm. it's no wonder that so many big, massive powerlifters that everyone puts on a pedestal be like, oh, this guy knows how to squat heavy. But it's like, you're... Most people's problem isn't hitting parallel. It's, it's being able to produce force and understanding how that occurs. Whereas, like, you get these people who are so structurally compressed that they need to go knees out, knees out, knees out, just even hit the hole. Then they can relax and almost shoot out of the hole. Again, the biggest stress for a lot of these big, beefy dudes is getting to depth. So it makes sense that they're trying to drive all this external rotation so they can still satisfy the competition standards. Again, that's not most people's problem. Most people have this force production or internal rotation deficit. Uh, if you want to look at their squat for like what they're missing and what they have trouble with. Yeah. And yeah. That's kind of one of the big ones to kind of hone in on is that whole pronation concept. Like, can you over pronate your foot? Like what happens when the foot collapses? Like people are afraid to do that. And that's often the barrier is just relax your damn foot to allow your body to translate vertically and sit down in the hole well and that's the thing like again a lot of the strength crowd would look at the prr crowd and be like oh these guys are pussies but like <laughs> they're not afraid <laughs> of a little bit of pronation or a little bit of protraction or like a little bit of flexion of the spine and i'm like man if you could just look at this system a little bit more honestly and embrace some of the lessons that these different people are trying to teach you and and like the thing is if you've got this big old arch in your foot, it can only move in one direction. Like it's gonna come down at some point. Like people talk about, because these same people who talk about maintaining that arch in their foot, they give so much lip service to staying on the midfoot. But it's like your midfoot isn't on the ground. Like you talk about midfoot, but then anytime your midfoot presses into the ground, you act like that's a flaw in your form or something like that. So again, so much cognitive dissonance with these people. Whereas what I liked about the PRI crowd and these compression expansion people is like, yeah, they actually know how to get a midfoot to press into the ground. And they're going to freak out when it happens because they're like, yeah, get on your midfoot. And my foot pronates and they're like, yeah, good. That's why I knew would happen. And the thing is, <laughs> if you maintain three points of contact, that outside edge of the heel and that fifth met head uh, and the that first met head, well, there's actually a fourth point on this lateral aspect of, I don't even know what you call this part of the foot, um, near the midfoot. But again, for simplicity's sake, we'll focus on the tripod. If you maintain that even pressure, you're going to pronate like crazy. Whereas mm-hmm. again, most people re-supinate when their foot starts peeling away from the ground so even more cognitive dissonance there where a lot of the strength crowd knows it's like yeah you want to maintain this full foot contact but then again when they get the byproduct of that full foot contact which is fucking pronation then they freak out so again there's for me i was always so uncomfortable with the technical model of the strength crowd and it wasn't until i started engaging with these pri concepts that i felt like i had a coherent human movement model yeah. But then obviously, yeah, you listen to PRI people too much, you'll be afraid of lifting heavy. So that's where you've got to <laughs> draw your line in the sand. And again, I didn't wash myself clean be like, I'm a PRI guy. I was like, yeah. no, no. I was like, I love heavy lifting, like, and I love doing mad shit on my surfboard and making all these shapes. And I'm like, there's something here that I'm missing that these PRI people are onto. So I'm going to keep what I like about the strength stuff. I'm going to keep what I like from surfing and that expression of human movement. And I'm going to see what this PRI system can offer me. And there was so much gold in there so Mm -hmm. much gold yeah 
Well, it's been one of the, now like getting into the, the fun side of it for me is like, and I've had that conversation with you too, is like looking at this old school shit and I'm like looking at it through a PRI lens and I'm like, man, this shit's gold. Like this old time odd lift stuff is fucking gold when you start looking at it this way. And, you know, they probably didn't know they were doing a lot of this shit right or in, not right. Well, but like, they, didn't they didn't need know. the PRI exposure because they didn't have as many bullshit rules espoused to them either. Like all those classic bodybuilders. Like I said, they're some of the OG movement optimists. They're flexing yeah. their spine. They're doing all these interesting variations of movement. Again, they're giving themselves that variability that the human body just seems to thrive off and how much training they were able to do and how much gains they were able to make with all these suboptimal lines of pull. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, how it's... much of a threat to the system is a lack of optimal lines line of pull maybe not so much <laughs> yeah it's, it is cool looking back at some of these other things now through this lens and, and you can see how it's all there um what do you have to say to well i guess two crowds here like the long femur crowd and the good old retroverted hip crowd like when it comes to squatting like what's your two cents it's the same thing. Like, like, I think it's crazy the amount of trainers who will like assess someone's squat and then pretend they have X-ray vision. And be like, oh, you must have retroverted acetabulum. And I'm like, oh, dude. like, and maybe, maybe they do. I also don't give a shit because I'm just going to elevate their heels, get their arms and scaps out in front of their body, and what do you know? All of a sudden, they can vertically translate a pelvis like you would expect someone with who's quote unquote built to squat to be able to do. And I don't think they're ever going to be as strong of a squatter someone with shorter femurs and i think it's if you can manage your expectations and be a little bit realistic then you have a much higher likelihood of producing a beautiful squat pattern with these long femured individuals because again where it gets gross is they just have a weak squat pattern because they're not that leveraged to stay upright and if you always are chasing the max amount of weight it's like what's the squat variation where they can lift the max amount of weight what's the squat variation where they can turn it into a deadlift whereas like i actually want to constrain their squat pattern to maintain that squatty pattern and just over time just take my time with it and it will get strong as shit but it's just mm. a bit more of a long game strategy to building up their squat but again yeah the solutions are the same because i just view it as a squat is just a big posterior weight shift and a vertical translation of the pelvis so the heel elevation and the anterior load just facilitates that but if i get someone with stubby legs and i'm teaching them how to squat it's the same approach like i said so much of it is just about managing your expectations of like how good of a squatty squatter and how strong of a squatty squatter you can be and is mm -hmm. it okay to keep loading up and to deadlift your squat yeah by all means but i'm like you're missing something from a human movement perspective whether or not that's meaningful to you and necessary for you is a whole nother conversation but a lot of people are just really good at turning a squat into a deadlift just because yeah. they're chasing weight yeah and yeah, i say as sure. a me i love heavy squats but yeah sometimes you look and you're like that's a deadlift with a bar on your back dude <laughs> um yeah uh, maybe moving into this systems versus principles mindset i think is maybe a good conversation to have because you do appeal your content a lot to coaches and pts um which is you know it's it's great to get into and and be able to kind of have that to you know manage and look at but um that's kind of one of the big things right is like this systems are all out there and, and one of the things that you've talked about um offline or i don't know if you brought this up in your content too is like principles versus systems it's probably a good conversation to have like how coaches maybe need to adopt that mindset think a little bit more around that 
kind of way of thinking. The internet just absolutely betrayed me there. I missed about 10 seconds of that question. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> just um, like going into that thought process of systems versus principles. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, with the coach's hat on, like, what would you have to offer in terms of like that, that approach to thinking and, and offering that kind of mindset shift for people? Yeah, because I, I think it's easy when you dichotomize this conversation as well. Like, and it, it is a bit of a false dichotomy. There are people that exist in the middle, but you have like the George Box crowd, all systems are wrong, so I'm not going to engage with any of them. And then you have the weekend Kool-Aid drinkers who are just going to a new cert every weekend, just going into it as if it's the truth. You've got to maintain that middle ground where you are still going and absorbing all of these fitness systems, or at least as many of them as you practically can. Because again, you actually have to train people. You can't just be educating yourself the whole time. But go, what people can't handle is going into a system and maybe paying for the content if they have to, already accepting that it's not the truth. Like a lot of people just can't even engage with these fitness systems once they've accepted that they're not the whole truth. Whereas if you can maintain that mentality of like, all right, this will be some cool aid, but there's also likely some helpful stuff in here because this is a really popular fitness system. So no doubt there is value that some people have got out of it. And going in with that lens is going to help you maintain your principle-driven approach, but maybe just gain a new lens that you can stack on top of all these other lenses that you've tried to accumulate. Like um, Jamie Smith, uh, I love him for the way he explains systems and looks at all this stuff again he highlighted it just through the biopsychosocial model because again we have this biomedical model this view of pain and human movement i think the biopsychosocial lens is phenomenal for everything but most people get exposed to it sort of through pain and and re the rehab sort of space and and it's funny because again we over focused on the b for so long that the way it's practiced now is sort of it's more the psychosocial model whereas like you know the good practitioners understand that it's the biopsychosocial model you've got to try to peer through all of those lenses simultaneously but again the way we say it sounds like they're even separate things like biopsychosocial people just try to separate them all jamie smith was the first person who said to me like no it's not biological uh, biological, physiological, and it's not psychosocial. It's like we need to stack all of these lenses over the top of each other and peer through them simultaneously. But I also think that that applies to every fucking lens. It's like, okay, not only do we have to do that with this biopsychosocial biopsychosocial thinking it's so fucking important for people to be aware of in this industry i want to have the atg lens i want to have the pri lens i want to have the n1 lens i want to have the fms lens i want to have the dns lens i want to have the frc lens and it's like how many the the skill of a good coach is like how many of those lenses can you peer through simultaneously without mm. biasing one of them too much and, yeah. uh, and that's the challenge. And I'm not saying I always get it right, but ultimately that's what I am trying to get to, to just, just peer through all these things simultaneously and be like, what's the common thread here? Because when you find the things that permeate all of those systems, as well as things outside of fitness, that's when you're getting to these core principles that people give so much lip service to. People talk about like fitness principles. I'm like, if it's just a fitness principle, it's not a principle. I'm sorry. Like it has to apply to things outside of fitness. And again, like this anti-fragile uh, principles, I'm like, man, they seem to just permeate so many areas of my life outside of fitness and be so helpful in fitness. So that's what gives me so much confidence about that. That, that is true principles. Like universal principle thinking mm -hmm. no, that's a cool way to put it um so you brought it up but we'll move there the the drama with coach kazam from n1 <laughs> i 
that was uh that was a fun one to watch um and props to bringing him on the podcast and like having some health it was it was pretty healthy debate like i think it was, oh sorry i think it's it was healthy exposure for everyone but i just want to say to everyone like that wasn't my idea like, <laughs> so kasem like, i've made memes about the guy i didn't and like whatever like fuck me i didn't ever think you'd see him right and anyway, he did and i was kind of fine with it because like he made heaps of fun of other fit people's fitness systems and then he can't take it when people make fun of his silly system and all the dumb shit that he says that's a bit hypocritical so anyway he comes on my page talks a bit of shit i roast him and then he blocks me because he's a sensitive little snowflake uh and i keep making memes about this optimal stuff which he takes everything i say about optimal the word optimal uh, personally um and then i get an email from the bloke because again he's blocked me on socials that he just <laughs> can't quit me so i get this random email from him like two months later be like hey uh i don't really want to give you a platform but i threw out a poll the other day in my story i was like who should i debate and everyone was like debate angus so i'm like he's like you know still don't even know if i want to give you this opportunity and it's like you know sounds like you do because he are in <laughs> fucking emails like <laughs> Um, so he's like, you know, do you want a debate? And I was like, yeah, well, I, I can't feel like I can't say no. Cause I don't want to seem like a little bitch, but it's weird. Cause like, I actually don't mind the view of human movement that M1 have. My contention yeah. is that it's actually very similar to PRI. Like they're just wrapping shit around rib cages, wrapping yeah. pecs lights around rib cages. Again, he loves a bit of ne medial knee travel or like knees in to train the glutes and stuff, uh, wrapping them around an ilia. Um, but yeah, so because I feel like to have a productive debate, you have to have a mediator, whereas he thought we could just hop on a random Zoom call. And again, so it wasn't meant to be on my podcast. I think his idea was that we'd have this really hectic debate uh, that he intended to put on his YouTube channel. But I was like, dude, and I didn't trust it because I was like, I want a copy of this recording. He never sent me it. So I recorded it on my mobile phone, uh, that whole Zoom call. And, he, you know, I was like, well, fuck you. I don't want your stupid platform. I've got an echo chamber of my own. I want it. So I just released it on my podcast and he never ended up putting it out on his YouTube channel for obvious reasons because it was a shit show. Um, <laughs> but, and again, like people, will be annoyed because i interrupted him a bunch but like i just gave myself permission to talk over the top of the bloke because i don't have much respect for him on a personal level so i was like i'm just gonna have fun and enjoy myself here but i feel really bad because then there are a whole bunch of people who did want a productive debate i'm like well if he set it up properly again it was his idea mm -hmm. he started it he thought we could have a productive conversation after all that history by just hopping on a call like this i'm like nah you probably need someone there to make us both behave a little bit better um and to be like no no okay we need to stay on this point and resolve this and have a bit more of a back and forth because yeah it was just all over the place yeah yeah it was yeah but it, was... it was crazy for me because again i was just like i don't know i was like <laughs> i guess i was like i'm having some sort of influence here yeah yeah it was good and you know, you, you did bring some of that to his attention and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's been some changes made even from his perspective, from some of those engagements at least. But I mean, there's some, yeah, like there's some good things in, in what the N1's doing, like in terms of bringing that PRI kind of model to strength training, right? So it's like, cause this is the thing, right? You start thinking about the PRI movement lens. Now you're like, you're almost kind of trying to I guess buy into a system that's now talking about that in a way where it's like, okay, this is how you do it for bodybuilding. This is how you do it for whatever. Right. It's like, cause then you got to kind of see like, Oh, like how are people actually doing this? So it's, it's probably one place you could look to say like, Oh, this is a, a cool way that they're presenting some of these kind of concepts of the rib cage and 
Uh, I don't pelvis. think Sam knows how heavy I lift. Like, I think he thought I was a literal PRI guy. I'm like, mate, <laughs> like, I lift heavier than you. <laughs> yeah. Like, he'll max out a leg extension, but I'm like, dude, I've never seen you do an impressive squat deadlift or, like, dunk a basketball or anything like that. I'm like, yeah. dude, like, come on. Like, I do hectic shit. Like, yeah. I'm not just sitting there laying on my back with a balloon in my mouth. Like, can't you see that I've adapted this thing? And I'm like, I'm doing a lot of stuff that sort of seems similar to this N1 stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I was trying to break bread and kumbaya with him being like, hey, can we just say that all this stuff is more similar than different? But he wants to be a guru, like, right? He's got this system that's like a lot of other systems, but he's like, no, you come in, you do my system, my system's the best. And he's like, you know, he reckons he's anti-guru. He wears his little I am the science shirt. It's like, dude, like, <laughs> look around you. And again, the only person who will compliment in the fitness industry is Poliquin. So I think that sort of says a little bit about the bloke. <laughs> That was an interesting post too, bringing that one to the to light with the, you know, but you kind of hit it on the head, right? Yeah, everyone kind of drinks the Kool-Aid and takes that one approach to, to everything, which means you then take it to heart if you are, you know, presented with a different uh, and I'll viewpoint admit, of it. I, I, I took all the Poliquin stuff so personally because Poliquin hated coaches like me, skinny people who were good at cardio. Um, and and I think I haven't done a good enough job probably of being honest. I just don't – I didn't see the positive contributions because when I came into the fitness industry, I think he was sort of done in terms of like having that real hectic impact where he made PTs more professional. He made – like I think people just freestyle. People weren't even writing programs and stuff for their mm. clients before Poliquin sort of uh, popularized that in this space. But then there was all the other shit. He kind of took a lot of that – consumer confidence and ran with it let's say and that's all i was exposed to so i'm just trying to be honest about my experience of the industry and my exposure to the poliquin trainers and systems and yeah no that was funny a lot of people jumped on that one too to kind of share their you know own kind of reflections now that it's you know some of the smoke is cleared and people are like yeah it's fucking it got crazy there for a bit we were pinching scat fat we were hormone profiling on the gym floor we were uh telling telling stressed out corporates in their mid-30s and 40s that they needed to do less cardio and and eat more animal pro so and i love eating meat probably sounds like i'm a big old vegan or something like that uh the way i've spoken on this show trying to highlight the importance of fitness. but yeah it was just like i'm like man i don't know if we were having the impact that we needed to have on the, that those gen pop people i don't know if they needed to hear that cardio would kill their gains i'm not sure if yeah <laughs> um we see it a lot now too with like moving in that direction of optimal training and it's i mean I, the line of pull is becoming the tib raise on my feed now when i mm-hmm open my Instagram. <laughs> like it's kind of, you know, it's like you see the tip raises coming every day. And now it's like, I'm seeing every day, a new optimal, you know, way to pull and train your lat fibers. Like, and it is good shit. Like I will say, like I'm using this in my training and I'm, you know, finding a way to, to adjust Dude, it. And one lat training and pec training is fire. Yeah. I'm glad I've had an opportunity to say that on record. Cause I don't think Kaz believes me when I say, I love that. Those are his, that's his great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it is a really great thing to bring into your training accessory wise or whatever, right? But it's um, like, what is your take on the optimal line of pull? Like, what are we? I just can't ignore Ronnie Coleman. Like, like how did he get so big? <laughs> like, I, 
<laughs> no, because and, and that's because that's even with my programming, with every aspect of my system. I'm trying to be honest about what what, what can work potentially, and mm. I'm like, what are the things that inhibit progress? What are the big threats to progress? And for a lot of people, having a suboptimal line of pull or lacking external stability to get tr- close to quote unquote true failure of the target tissue, it seems to not be a rate limiter for so many people. And I think that that is a conversation point that I would like to explore more because I'm sure there are more optimal ways or more effective ways, let's say, of taking target tissue to absolute failure or not being limited by some other component of the system. Um, But it is a productive conversation, but then you have to be honest about for who and you have so many people now who are limiting their training options because again they think that optimizing the line of pull is everything and that's sort of the shiny new toy so you have all these people with like again 16 to 18 inch quads being like well you can't grow your legs with goblet squats i'm like fucking you can like what, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about like, jesus christ i could squat 200 kilos and i could still thrash my legs with uh goblets hills elevated goblet squats and like even if that's not your primary i'm not saying that should be your primary but like i've seen mike isratel doing bodyweight lunges off the back end of his leg press set so i'm like can we just add a bit more context to this conversation of like goblet squats won't grow your legs and then it's like is that the main reason people do goblet squats i'm not sure that's the main reason either um so yeah like but again it's funny because as much as i shit on optimizing the line of pull what i love about n1 is i think they're very honest about hey a lot of people think that this is the biggest range of motion for this muscle but actually it's it's more like this and i love them i wish that's sort of where the conversation ended it's like okay so if you are trying to take this tissue through its biggest range of motion this is how i would go about it and this is sort of the common industry thinking and then Mm -hmm. i think extrapolating all this emg data and all this hypothetical physics um that's and then trying to connect that with hypertrophy and maximizing that i think that that's where they go wrong a little bit and i think they should stop chastising people for apparently not understanding physics because i don't think they understand it that well either (laughs) i think physics is fucking complex (laughs) yeah a little more complex i think people should stop saying physics uh, (laughs) because again it's like what physics are you talking about you're talking about like the made-up physics like classical (laughs) physics you're talking about that real shit where it gets a little bit more uncertain like if you actually know physics and if you're actually up to date with physics you'd know that there's a lot of uncertainty built into physics uh, and quantum mechanics and stuff which i guess they don't actually know their physics and again it's not about quantum physics when you're trying to optimize a line of pull i guess that was a little bit of a joke but you know maybe (laughs) they should shut up about the physics thing um i was going to move into a little bit of gainer talk in terms of nutrition and i'm not like i've never made myself the nutrition guy like it's just not an avenue i wanted to take i i it's obviously valuable and i just you know never went as hard into it as like okay i'm gonna start calculating everyone's macros and i'm gonna start you know chip chopping away and i've kind of had a little bit of fun with it recently with this uh lazy gainer thing i'm doing it's just more of like a stories thing but it gets a lot of reaction like people kind of laugh and they're like yeah like it's a huge pain point do you know how many skinny guys and girls are out there who just really struggle to put on weight like mm. i it's not surprising to me like angus five years ago would have been yeah that was kind of you know the direction i was going here is like you you promoted that too in your content where you know you've putting on sl- size over time um and yeah i just thought it'd be cool for some of the listeners that kind of have those friendly conversations with me lazy gainer tips if uh 
you could go over some lazy gainer tips that you've kind of applied in your, your training or just kind of thinking in that direction. Cause you went, you're almost like 10 kilos. Was it in the last five years or so? Was that? So my weight, uh, in the last couple of years, um, two years before all the gym shut down in my country. Cause that's sort of when I ended my bulk, when gym shut down and I was just like, <laughs> she, <laughs> um, yeah, so I sorry, when I started working in the city as a PT, I was 75 kilos. I got as low as 72 kilos while trying to bulk uh, because I I don't actually know this, but I've heard that there's different responders to stress. Some people, and again, I'm bastardizing it, so if anyone understands stress, don't jump out at me. But mm -hmm. I sort of have this under, primitive understanding that there's like cortisol responders and there's adrenaline responders. So some people, when they're stressed, eat more. Some people, when they're stressed, they lose their appetite. I was missing gym rent. I was at a really expensive sort of gym as mm. far as training people out of. And I got down to like 72 kilos because my business was going to shit and I was just sitting there stressing about that instead of eating. It just killed my fucking appetite. Um, but so, and, and that was the thing for me as a skinny person. I'd never had this huge appetite because people were like, just eat more. Like, don't worry about eating clean. Just eat whatever. I'm like, I am eating literally whatever. But what really <laughs> helped me was just grabbing two liters of chocolate milk at the start of the day and be like, all right, I'm going to try to eat like a normal person. And I know if I eat three square meals, like solid, square meals and i get through all this chalky milk i'm like it's surely i'm not in a deficit by the end of that day uh and people are like, count your calories i'm like i know when i'm in a deficit because the fucking weight goes down and it's like you know my physical activity was outrageous as well working um in the gym setup that i did i was clocking like twenty five thousand steps a day minimum sort mm -hmm. of thing just going about my pt duties and then there was a caloric expenditure of me training me sitting there stressing about my finances killing my appetite at the same time i'm a real fidgety guy burning more calories there like my whole system is i'm just wired to be a skinny person um but yeah i overcame it through the magical powers of chalky milk god damn <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to look at chalky milk ever again um but yeah i tell you what man liquid calories are king for the hard gainer yeah, that was obviously influenced by um, my seeing my mates go through an experience of like starting strength and go mad, which they made some crazy gains off. Nice. So chocolate milk. Start your day off with two liters. <laughs> oh, so hectic, man. So, and that's the thing that's like, I was, it was so weird trying to build a PT business with Gen Pop in the city where it's like, it's like, who's that skinny guy who's just walking around with two liters of chocolate milk all day? <laughs> like that's the guy that's gonna help me and so it's like oh fucking yeah i kind of have like the opposite effect like i get kind of chunky when i'm not eating right now i was a chunky kid i kind of got chunky kid good genetics kind of going on and shit but so i mean with me it's like if i don't start eating enough i get like soft as shit kind <laughs> of stuck going that direction and so like i when i'm eating clean or i guess eating to gain and like you know stay out in shape like it's it's hard to still hard to eat enough, but it's usually just like my protein intake. Uh, I find that just really hard to hit. And I'm not like hitting like some kind of ridiculous standard that even just body weight protein I find is just like pretty hard to hit. Like some days I'm like, fuck, I, I need like some kind of, you know, strategy here to just make sure I can get my protein intake up. 
But, yeah, see, yeah. for me, I think my total volume of calories was so high. And again, I never tracked it that closely, but I was always, I did vague calculations. And I was like, nah, for me, it's it's clearly just a calories thing. The way and the foods I typically consume a lot of, if I hit the net amount of calories, there's no way I'll be undershooting uh, protein. But again, that's sort of just naturally how I sort of eat. But it's funny you say, like, and going back to talking about how, like, my entire system is just wired to be skinny. Like, I've had visible and noticeable abs since I was seven years old. And even in the entirety of my bulk, went from 72 all the way up to 90 kilos when I finished my bulk. It's like I had abs the whole time. <laughs> Bastard. I couldn't believe it. Like, and, and, yeah. that, and that's why like, I have so much sympathy and I understand the message that people are trying to promote when they're like, no, having abs ruined my life. And I'm like, man, like, I can't even get rid of mine. Like, it's, <laughs> That's not true for everyone. It's like there are people out there who can just be lean all the time. And like, I just want those people to like have someone who's like, they can relate to and stuff so yeah. you know, that's the thing because i don't want to bitch and moan about being skinny because i understand what a privilege that is and i've seen so many people and how emotional that can be that like struggle with yeah. weight loss and things like that or if you don't feel like you're in control of your body weight but like i'm like i've never felt in control of my weight it's just sort of coming from this other sort of side of things yeah oh, that's cool um what would you have to say to the listener who potentially is a coach and they're you know, thinking about taking their next kind of weekend certification and trying to figure out things. Like if we were to sign off on the, the episode here now, like what would you have to say to that person? Go do a fitness system that you, when you first stepped into this industry would have never even entertained and just, and go into it knowing that the system isn't the truth. I'm not saying just, oh no, be more open-minded, go in with a white belt mentality. No, don't at all, go in skeptical, go in to challenge yourself and but to challenge yourself both to identify the flaws in the model and where it's not a principle driven approach try to find the kool-aid but try to find that bit of the truth in it because every even if something is pure propaganda it's going to have a seed of truth in it and i think that's the thing so many of these models to skeptical people are so obviously just propaganda driven but i'm like well challenge yourself to find that seed of truth because it's going to be in there somewhere with every popular fitness system and when you can find all those little seeds and just keep them and collect them and take them with you and not wash yourself clean every time you want to do a new weekend seminar um i think that's when you end up in a really good place and you'll feel like you have a more principle driven model and you won't have again this white belt mentality where you're always going around and be like oh i know nothing oh i know nothing <laughs> no you've accumulated some knowledge yeah. like you know figure it out have some confidence to back your own line of thinking yeah that's a really good message and i've i've connected with some coaches that online like i've become pretty close friends with i would say now that have that weight belt mentality and i'm like man like i want to talk to you more like you know your shit you've been around like i want to hear more about that like sharing that stuff that you already know and just being able to kind of you know create more experiences and i, I would say the one thing that i get frustrated in because i am the guy that will go into the, as a skeptic and check everything out is it still kind of seems to be that there's a not the same appreciation for flexibility and maybe that still isn't it's not where it needs to be flexibility training it's like still a how do you even approach this and who even cares about this versus like who needs it and that kind of thing but there doesn't seem to be the same kind of like i guess i'm gonna go look and just see what's here and you know what i can take from that um I have such a natural bias against mobility and flexibility work <laughs> that I just check myself on because um, 
when I was growing up, midway through high school, my parents had this yoga obsession. And like, we're just always trying to drag me to yoga. It's like, my dad, shout out to my dad. <laughs> my dad got it. Like my dad was always smashing heavy weights. He's like, no, you've got to do something that's the opposite. So he was always dragging mum to yoga classes and stuff. And um, he got it. But again, like my dad was just selling yoga to me verbally so much. He's like, Angus for your surf. And he's like, you know, he's like, you got the weight lifting. So you're not as skinny, but then do some yoga so you can still make all these crazy shapes with your surfing. But it just, like I said, you don't want to learn everything off your parents. So that's why I had such an aversion. And I was always trying to find out like, how can I get as mobile and flexible as possible for my surfing and weightlifting without doing any explicit <laughs> quote unquote flexibility or dedicated yeah. mobility. Um, yeah. But then I've also had to have this thing where, like, now I feel like our entire industry has just developed this circle jerk against stretching. or and, and there's so much, like, now people are trying to make you scared of stretching. I'm like, do we need to make people fear stretching? I'm like, that's a little bit of an overcorrection. Because, mm. uh, again, you look at, you know, everyone comes out for the 100-meter final at the Olympics, and it's just like, all well, those guys just doing having a bit of a stretch. I'm like, yeah, people seem to like it. Like, I don't think it's killing off their force production too much. No, for so sure. Just, so I've gone on a fucking tangent, but yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, there's too much hating on, on stretching at the moment. Yeah. There's time and place and, you know, type, like who needs it versus, you know, who wants it kind of thing. And, well, yeah, um, you're such a good advocate for it because you're never someone who's gonna be like, no, weights are bad. No, all you need to do is stretch. Like, <laughs> I think you're such a, a positive advocate for mobility work because again, you are that walking contradiction where well, you're not because you're principle driven. But I think a lot of people would see you as the contradiction. They're like the mobility guy who just loves smashing heavy squats. They're like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? I'm like, no, like that's the mobility guy you want to listen to. <laughs> yeah. Which it all changes in the, and you know, I think the evolution of the coach, like you even have talked about before is like, always just like not being so dogmatic and, and being the able duality to duality of man, right? Yeah. It's like put a barbell on your back and then lay on the ground with a balloon in your mouth or go face <laughs> your side splits. It's like, you gotta be able to just embrace that, that yeah. duality. No, that's a, that's a, a good uh, point to maybe end the episode and let people digest all that. That was good. Thanks for coming on, man. Ah, thank you very much. And thank you to anyone who listened to all of that. I appreciate you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.